Well, thank you for being here. Thank you for making this a priority in your guys' lives. And Suzanne, thank you for setting the stage so well. Uh, obviously, discipline number three is what we're going to talk about today. And discipline number three follows the first two disciplines. First and foremost, it follows discipline number one, our own hearts before the Lord. And, you know, as Christ says in Matthew chapter 22, we're to love the Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That is the first and greatest commandment. And after that, we are to love others. Specifically in discipline number two, we're to love those that are closest to us, the closest relationships to us in our homes and and those around us. And here this morning, we're going to get to talk about discipline number three, the ministry. We're going to specifically talk about relationships. Relationships within the local church. So we're going to shave off and kind of narrow that focus a little bit. And the one another's are a tool that we're going to use to do this. If you've been a Christian for a while, you probably have heard of the one another's. You perhaps you've even studied the one another's. The one another's are a tool for surveying scripture, specifically the New Testament, for how we are to practice biblical relationships within the local church. Let me say that again. The one another's are a tool to survey scripture for how we're to practice biblical relationships within the local church. And the one another's don't capture everything about how believers are to relate to one another. But they are an extremely helpful tool for doing that. That little phrase, one another, is a very simple adjective pronoun pair. And in my English translation, NAS, that phrase, that pair, one another, shows up 108 times in 101 different verses. Sometimes it's more than one in a verse. So 108 times in 101 verses in the New Testament. And when it does, it's primarily uh, two Greek pronouns that get translated into that English phrase. So I'm just going to kind of step through how I came up with the study that we're going to go through. And those two Greek pronouns get translated into one another. So some of those 101 verses are simply narrative passages. They're descriptive. They're not the commands. They're not telling us how we're to relate to one another. For example, in Mark uh, chapter 8, verse 16, it says, they began to discuss with one another that they had no bread. Well, that's just describing something that's going on there. That's not what we're looking for. Looking, What we want to do is we want to find where God's word has these imperatives, where God's word has these commands or expectations for how we're to relate to one another. There are some one another's that are in there that very much don't apply. Matthew 24, 10, betray one another, hate one another. And in Revelation 6, 4, slay one another. <laughs> Those obviously do not apply. Uh, so there's some filtering that work, you know, that is a uh, subjective filtering. Uh, that, that occurs, and once you know we're done filtering through all of those, the result of all this is we get what you have on in your last sheet should look something like this. Might as well kind of pull it out, set it aside. We're going to be referring to it. That sheet on it contains 38 different one another's that are captured in 59 different verses or passages. So those are 38 one another's and there's all the verse references that are there as well. Some of those verses obviously have more than one reference. For example, love one another has 14 different references. And you might, you know, over the course of seeing other people's lists of the one another's, they can be different because there's kind of a little bit of, uh, again, subjectivity that how you kind of put those together. You know, for example, love one another is very specific. Love one another. That, those three words show up in 14 different verses. Uh, there's other ones that kind of are getting to the same idea, so they get kind of brought together in one specific one another. And that, you know, for me, that I put those into 38 different ones. Those one another's can be found in two different gospels, Mark and John. They are also found in 16 out of the 27 books of the New Testament. And the vast majority the vast majority of the one another's are explicit commands or expectations for believers. And the vast majority of these commands are to be carried out within the local church. Look around. Look around at the people around you. 
the people in this room. Think of your small group if you're in one. On Sunday, I want you to come here and I want you to look around the auditorium in there. Those are the people that we're to be practicing these one another's with. And my hope and desire is to provide some familiarity with these one another's so that they stand out in scripture as you're reading through them so that you can be practicing them or practicing them more effectively within the body, specifically the body here, the body of Christ here called GBC. The main point of this whole thing, and you'll see that unfold, is the obedient Christian, you, me, must be in close biblical relationships with fellow believers within the local church. And since I'm speaking to GBC, we're talking about GBC. And evidence of those close biblical relationships is the practice of the one another's with one another here in the local church, here at GBC. The one another's are essentially a manual for biblical relationships in the local church. They're, they're, they're a guide to show us how, we're to, how God wants us to interact with one another. And what we're, we're not going to do, because I just can't explain everything about how all of the New Testament describes our relationships with everybody, we're not going to pit against one another the passages that talk about believers in general loving other believers. We're not going to talk about how believers are to love unbelievers. We're not going to pit those things against what we're talking and focusing on here. All of these passages coexist and complement one another, but today we're going to focus very specifically on God, what God's word says about the one another's and these biblical relationships in our local body. To uh, back to this, that your your handout, you'll notice that there's six major categories: love, care, edification, humility, service, and unity. Those are kind of top-level categories to kind of group to one another so that we can step through them. And what we're going to do is to help us step through these, we're going to ask six questions. There are six categories. There are six questions. Uh, to investigate how God wants us to practice the biblical relationships within the local church. The first one, question number one, how does God want us to practice loving one another? How does God want us to practice loving one another? The primary and single most important one another is love one another. This command stands over and above all the others. It's an umbrella that covers all of the others. All of the other one another's flow out of this one. They flow out of a love for one another. Please turn with me to John chapter 13. Verses, we're going to read verses 34 and 35. John chapter 13, 34 and 35. And while you're turning there, to provide some historical context here in the, this part of John, John, actually this is a conversation from chapter 13 to chapter 17. This is a conversation that occurs in, the, in Jerusalem, in the upper room, Jesus only with his disciples. This is where they have the Last Supper. And so this is literally hours away from Jesus going to the cross. At this point, in John, uh, in verses 34 and 35, at this point, Judas has already left. He's already left to go betray Jesus, so it's just the 11 now with Jesus. And Jesus provides a new commandment to the disciples. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. That you also love one another. Verse 35, by this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved, if you have love for one another. That word love, when you read that word, what do you think it means? Usually, the first thing that I think about when I think about love is I, I think about the emotion, the, the feelings, the warm affections that I have for people that I care about. 
The Greek word for that kind of love is phileo. And however, that word for love is not found here. That is not this word for love. The word for love that is found here is agapao, which is the verb form of the word agape or agape. You guys may be familiar with that word. Agapao is the verb of intelligent, purposeful, committed love that is an act of will. It is intelligent, meaning it requires thought, knowledge. It is not simply an emotion. It is purposeful, meaning it doesn't just happen by accident. It's a love that is rooted in joy, and it's a love that transcends our circumstances. Love that is based on emotion is very closely tied to our circumstances. This love transcends our circumstances. And in English, you know, we have one word that has many different, has a large semantic meaning, it has a large semantic range, it can mean a lot of different things. And, and it's helpful for us when we can see what the Greeks, Greek words are in those specific cases so that we're not trying to impose our own definitions of what love is in these cases. And I also want you to notice something else about this word love. It's a verb. It's an active verb. And this love is a love of action. And in this use, the action is directed towards one another. Jesus is telling the disciples to love one another. This is the same love that we are to love God and to love our neighbor. This is the same love that Jesus had and has for us. And now he provides a new commandment. It's new because it narrows the focus of that love. The disciples are not simply to have a love of neighbor, which this is, again, this is not in contrast to that. This is, these complement each other well. It's not just a general call to love your neighbor. We are called to do that and we are commanded to do that. And that's been established in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40 which was referencing Leviticus 19.18. Here, the disciples, these 11, were called to love one another. You, disciples, love the disciples. You 11, love the 11. And the disciples are to have a love, Verse 34, even as I have loved you. They're to have a love that is modeled after the love that Christ had for them. And what kind of love did Christ have for them? He had an unconditional love. These 12, these 11 were not the easiest bunch of guys to love. His love was humble. It was merciful. It was gracious. It was patient. It was sacrificial. Jesus He came for the purpose of going to the cross. And he explained that in various different ways, getting more clear as he got closer to going to the cross to the disciples. They didn't quite get everything, but Jesus knew it and he was explaining it to them. And in just a couple pages over in John chapter 15, he also says that you're to love one another. And one of the greatest ways you can do this is lay your lives down for each other. Jesus was looking forward to the cross. So this is also a very much a sacrificial love. And the disciples were to have that kind of love for each other, for one another. <coughs> and what is the result of that love? Verse 35 tells us that the result of that kind of love for one another, by this all men will know that you are my disciples. If you have a love for one another. The results of that love is that all these people are going to see that they are followers of Christ. They are his disciples. This new commandment that Jesus gives the disciples is a commandment for us. We are to love one another as Christ loved us. We're to have close, intimate relationships with fellow believers for the purpose of pouring out this love on them. Our love for one another is not just so that they can receive the benefits of whatever that, might, that love might look like. Our love for one another stands as a witness, as a testimony to an unbelieving world of who we follow. 
our love for one another draws attention to Christ. The love we have and show for one another and demonstrate to one another magnifies Christ and it magnifies the one who we follow. This love is the outstanding and essential mark of the Christian. Another love one another is found in 1 John chapter 3. Please turn there. Here, the historical context, uh, 1 John was written to some local churches, likely right around Ephesus where John was located. And here, the one another's that John is talking about are going to be people that are in these local churches. Let's start reading in, actually, in verse 10. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the evil one, and slew his brother. For what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. Who, he who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but indeed and truth. We will know we will know by this that we are of the truth, and we will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. In verse 23, this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he commanded us. So there's two instances of love one another in verse 11 and verse 23, and there's a whole bunch of good stuff sandwiched in between. Actually, so in verse 10, which isn't actually sandwiched in between, but uh, in verse 10, he who does not love his brother is not of God. Our love for our brethren, our love for one another it's going to be evidence that we're believers. In verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brethren. Again, our love for the brethren, our love for one another is evidence that we've been saved. Verse 16, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Christ as the supreme example that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. The love that Christ displayed by laying down his life is an example for us and what we're to do. Verse 17. Whoever has the world's goods and doesn't see his brother in need. The, verse 17. We're to love one another by providing worldly needs for the brethren. Verse 18. Let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Our love has an action that is supported by and with God's word. And then in verse 23, we love one another just as he commanded us. Uh, another love one another is found on, at least in my Bible, it's on the next page. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11. We're going to start reading in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 
By this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. Verse 10, in this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 10, he loved us when we didn't love him. We actually hated him. Before being believers, we hated him. We rebelled against him. And God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. God sent the perfect sinless one from heaven to earth to become a human to be born and to live in this fallen, sinful world for a purpose. He sent him to be the propitiation, the wrath-satisfying sacrifice for our sins. Not his sins, not everyone's sins, but for our sins, his people, his people, us. Jesus bore the wrath, the punishment for, for those that did not love him. In verse 11, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. God's love was selfless, is selfless, sacrificial, unconditional, merciful, gracious, enduring, costly. His love provided for our greatest need, reconciliation with the one who we sinned against. And God's love was doing that which we were absolutely helpless to do. What should my love, in light of all of this, what should my love for one another look like? There need to be others in my life, close relationships that I can practice this love with. There need to be those kind of close relationships. I need to know what's going on in their lives so that I know how I can love them. I need to be looking for ways to love them earnestly, constantly, consistently. My love needs to be selfless with godly motivations, not as the world looks at relationships, which can often be, what am I going to get out of the relationship? Everything that I have, my time, my knowledge, my energy, my possessions, are actually the Lord's. And they are available to be poured out in love to one another. This kind of love for one another, it may be costly. It may be inconvenient. And we love our convenience living in this country. I love my convenience living in this country. And to, to, to care for one another, to love one another in this way, can be extremely inconvenient. It may be a sacrifice. There may be some things, some even good things, that we have to sacrifice so that we can care and love one another. And ultimately, it may even cost us our lives hard to see that currently in our current context but it could go there and it had been there for, for those back then this is how God wants us to practice loving one another here at GBC and like I said this love, this is what sets the stage for the rest of the things we're going to talk about this kind of overarching love for one another so question number two how does God want us to practice caring for one another so if you can pull out your little reference here, under care, we have care for one another, bear one another's burdens, be kind to one another, bear with one another, comfort one another, pray for one another. We're going to focus on the first one here, care for one another, found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25. If you could turn there, please. The context for this verse is actually all of chapter 12. And here Paul is addressing the local church at Corinth. 
Paul is dealing with division in the body, in the Corinthian church. And this church had lots of problems. Towards the beginning of the book, they're having division associated with who baptized who. I am a Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. And here Paul is dealing with division and within the church because of spiritual gifts. The, 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 some were looking at spiritual gifts, certain spiritual gifts elevated them more and others were not as worthy and didn't deserve as much honor. And these different spiritual gifts, Paul is in here applying, he, he wants to focus on the unity that believers have with one another. Unity that believers have within the body of Christ. He's focusing here on the Corinthian church and telling them, and here the body is a fantastic analogy. You know, the body is one unit. We have hands, we have feet, we have eyes, we have a head. And the the Corinthian church, Paul is explaining to them, you guys are one body. And even though you have many members, these different members and different members have different skills and different resources and different capacities and different gifts, you guys are still one body. You are unified. You are unified in the body of Christ. You are not individuals. And you are unified for the common good. And these different members are necessary. And we're going to start reading a little bit into verse 24. But God... So the but there is referring to all this stuff that Paul had been kind of leading up to, explaining through the spiritual gifts and focusing on unity. But God has so composed the body, God composed it, he put it together, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another, and if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Verse 24, God composing the body so that there would be no division. The Corinthians have been, there's been a lot of division and a lot of faction going on there. And and, And God so brought it together so that there wouldn't be that division. But that the members might have the same care for one another. Paul's contrasting this division with this care for one another. And when I think of the body, the different members of the body being unified rightly and not having this division, you know, the opportunity to provide that kind of same care for one another you know, I look around at the seasonal life in our church and all the all the trials that our church is going through, significant trials, and how the body, the whole body is stepping up and serving and caring and loving for one another. And there's, it's been really neat to see all the different ways. People are giving up their time. People are giving up their money. People are giving in all these different ways and coming up with ideas for how to do all these other things to care for one another. This is the body coming together to provide that same care for one another, and that's what we're supposed to be doing. And Paul gives these two examples in verse 26 of this unity that we do have for one another, specifically if one member suffers. All the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Do we not suffer when we hear about these trials, when we hear about the Dodds and the Hantlas and all the other things that are going on, do we not feel that? We all feel that because we are part of this body and that God has brought together and so composed in this body called Grace Bible Church. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice. And we get little pieces of that when we get to celebrate somebody getting engaged and getting married and having babies. There's a lot of that kind of celebration going on at this church. Uh, We get to rejoice and, and be excited in those things. God puts different members into this body with different skills and resources, different capacities for the purposes of providing the same care for the body. God does not want division. He does not want factions. 
He wants unified caring for those that are suffering and unified uh, and unified rejoicing for those that are rejoicing. Another way that God wants to practice caring for one another is the one another, bear one another's burdens. Please turn to Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. Here Paul is writing this command to the church in Galatia. We're going to start reading in verse 1. Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to himself, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he has something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another. For each one will bear his own load. This passage is dealing with sin, temptation, and restoration. To bear means to carry something burdensome, and to be carrying that something with endurance. Burden means probably what you think it means. A heavy load which is difficult to carry or to bear difficult to lift this is like carrying a huge backpack or lugging a gigantic piece of luggage through the airport and you're doing it and you have a long way to get out you know through the terminal your gates all the way at the end you have to do this with endurance and believers in the local church are being called to walk with a fellow believer to help them bear that burden of sin and temptation Ultimately, onto repentance and restoration. That is the end goal. Sin and temptation are significant burdens. And we need help. I need help. And we need help from one another. This is not exclusively the job of a pastor. This is the job of all of us. We're to be doing this with one another. We're to be helping to carry this burden. One of my former pastors said, you are either bearing a burden or you're helping someone else carry theirs. Those are ways that we can practice caring for one another. Number three, how does God want us to practice edifying one another? Let's go back to our handout. Edification. Edification. Build up one another. Admonish one another. Speak truth to one another. Speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Encourage one another. Seek after that which is good for one another. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. We're going to look at build up one another in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So please turn there. We're going to start reading in chapter or, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. Now, as to times and epochs, brethren, you have no need of anything to be written to you. For you yourselves know full well when the day of the Lord will come, just like a thief in the night. While they were saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly, like labor pains upon a woman with child, and they will not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that the day would overtake you like a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of day. We are not of night, nor of darkness. So then, let us not sleep as the others do, but let us be alert and sober. For those who sleep do their sleeping at night, and those who get drunk get drunk at night. But since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for a wrath, but obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, or, or asleep, we will live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another just as you also are doing. 
these believers are questioning. They, they have questions and concerns about the day of the Lord and when this was going to take place. And so Paul proceeds to encourage them and build them up. And he's doing this with truth. He explains truth to them. They're not in darkness. They're not overtaken. They're not destined for wrath. They're destined for salvation in Christ. They are sons of light, sons of the day. Therefore, since for unbelievers there's wrath, and therefore since for believers there's no wrath, encourage and build up one another. Paul was building up these believers with truth. For us to be able to carry this out, to, to build up our fellow believers, this assumes that we, we're in communication with believers, that we're in close communication, that we get to spend time with them such that they can bring questions and concerns and struggles to us, that we can build them up with truth. Another way that God wants us to practice edifying one another is to admonish one another. Please turn to Romans 15, verse 14. 15, verse 14. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself, am, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. That word here for admonish, some translations may say instruct, is the word nuthateo, which may seem familiar to some of you if you've heard of the, the word or the phrase nuthetic counseling, biblical counseling. That's where that comes from. And it simply means to counsel about avoidance or cessation of an improper course of conduct, to admonish, to warn, to instruct. This is not simply an instruction for, for knowledge's sake. This is instruction for the purpose of someone ceasing or avoiding to do something. This is lovingly going to your brother and sister and warning them. Warning them about something that needs to cease or something that needs to be avoided. And we are to do this with one another. And Paul here is affirming these Roman believers that they are able to do this with one another. Some of us may not, it's like, I don't know enough, or I don't, you know, we may, there, we may find a number of reasons why we wouldn't want to go and admonish one another. But Paul here is saying, no, you're able to do this. <laughs> All believers bear the responsibility to admonish one another, not just the elders or deacons. All of us are to do that with one another. And Paul affirms again that the believers here were equipped to do so. And so are we. We have been equipped to do that. Likely, none of us really want to be confrontational. We like being encouraging. But if one of our brothers or sisters is actually in sin, what is the most loving thing that we can do for them? We can shed light on it. We can expose it. We can lovingly admonish them for it. And it doesn't have to be the big sins. This, this is something that we should have close enough relationships with each other that this is just happening organically with one another. We don't want to be in a place where, well, Eric only comes to me when he has something to admonish me for. That's not a kind, of, that's not a kind relationship. That's not the kind of relationship I want to be known to have with people. Those are the ways that God, a couple ways that God wants us to be practiced edifying one another. How does God want us to practice being humble with one another? If we go back to our handout, under humility, we have give preference to one another, be subject to one another, regard one another as more important than yourself, confess your sins to one another, be humble toward one another. Please turn to Romans 12, a couple pages back, verse 10. This is written to the Roman church, church at Rome, that local church, and it's a command. And this section in Romans chapter 12 has some 25 exhortations for believers. 
in this section, within that section that our verse is actually in, is specifically dealing with family relationships, specifically the family of God. Romans chapter 12, verse 10, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Some relation or some translations say outdo one another in showing honor. This give preference or this outdo means to do with eagerness, to do exceedingly, lead the way, go before, precede, to prefer. And honor, simply high respect, high esteem. We're to go before proactively so that we can give honor. We're showing genuine appreciation and admiration for one another in the family of God. We're quick to show respect. We're quick to show admiration. We're quick to acknowledge the accomplishments of others. We're quick to show genuine love by not being jealous or envious. Why, why would we not be quick to do those things? One of the things that I think of is because I'm thinking more about myself, my pride, I'm not quick to see those things and others to recognize, to acknowledge those things. It takes humility to get outside of ourselves to see others at all, let alone first. Another way that God wants us to practice being humble with one another is to confess our sins to one another. Please turn to James chapter 5, verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Confess simply means to just make an admission of a wrongdoing or sin. We confess, we admit. We are commanded to do this continually. We're to be able to do this continually with one another. Confessing our sins with one another is not something that we naturally are going to want to do. Sin wants to stay hidden. Sin wants to stay private. Sin wants to stay secret. We want to hold on to that because in our own strength, we can overcome it or we don't want somebody to tell us we, we love it and we don't want to get rid of it. And we mix in our pride with that. We can just run away from confession. And God wants our sin exposed. God wants my sin exposed. He wants your guys' sin exposed. And he wants it dealt with in a loving fellowship, a loving fellowship of other believers. How gracious of the Lord to provide that kind of an environment, intimate environment where there's no, there, there should be no pride. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short. We're all only saved by grace. I expect you to be a believer. I expect, sin, uh, or I expect you to, to be a sinner. Um, we are sinners. We're going to act like sinners. We are going to sin against each other. And we get this opportunity to humbly practice this one another of confessing our sins with one another. And to do so, we really need to be in close relationships to do that, to do that well. Number five, how does God want us to practice serving one another? Again, looking at our handout, service, Serve one another, be hospitable to one another, wash one another's feet. Please turn, we're going to hit serve one another first. Uh, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 4. Starting in verse 8, above all, Keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Uh, whoever speaks is to do so as one speaking the utterances of God. Uh, so, um, 
We are to serve one another out of a fervent love for one another. Our, our lo- again, our love for one another is going to be what drives us to serve one another. And serve, that word, diakoneo, is where we get the word for deacon. Deacons are servants. And, and that word for serve is a personal service. It's a discharge of loving service. In, in Greek culture, that word had the meaning of waiting tables. And for the Greeks, service was very much looked down upon. It was undignified. Uh, to quote, to provide a quote from the Greeks, we are born to rule, not serve. They looked down upon service. Our service to one another is out of love for one another, and that can be very humbling. It can also be very exhausting. As we serve one another, pouring ourselves out for one another, we are serving, in verse 11, whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So as we're pouring out ourselves in service to one another, that is generated by that fervent love for one another, we're doing it by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God, through Jesus Christ, would be glorified. That, that, that's the goal in our service is we want, we want Jesus to be magnified. We don't want to be, hey, look at me. Look at how I'm serving these people or, and, and doing all these things. We want, we want God to be glorified in that service. Our loving service to and for one another is all about the other person. It's done in God's strength and it's all done to God's glory. Another way that God wants us to practice serving one another is to wash one another's feet. The context here is, this is in John chapter 13, verse 14, so let's flip back over there. The context here is, again, they're in the upper room, This is the Last Supper. But this is actually prior to Judas leaving. So there are 12 disciples there with Jesus at this time. So let's start reading in verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God, got up from supper and laid aside his garments. Taking a towel, he girded himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, and he said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What I do you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus said to him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Well, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him. And for this reason, he said, not all of you are clean. So then, so when he had washed their feet and taken uh, taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, Lord and teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I gave you an example that you should do as I did to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is the one who is sent greater than the one who is sent to him. To provide some historical context, there was dirt and dust everywhere in Israel. In some places, it was not uncommon for that dust to be an inch thick. And if you're walking around in sandals, what do you guys think your feet are going to look like? Um, and when it rains, 
What do you think that dust is going to turn into? And at the entrance of every Jewish home, there would have been large pots of water so that everyone that would come in could wash their feet. And for a slave, this was the most menial task that they were given, to wash the feet of all of the guests. So they would, as the guests would come, they would wash the feet for them. And when Jesus and the disciples arrived at the upper room, there was no slave. This would have been a great opportunity for one of the 12 to actually have said, you know what, here, let me get this. All the stuff was there, the water, the basin, the towel, all that stuff was there for somebody to have done that. But not one of them offered to do that. One of them could have been washing the feet of Christ. Um, But as Luke chapter 22, verse 24 tells us, they were too busy arguing about who was the greatest. Who was the greatest of all the disciples. They were busy arguing about that. They were too busy being selfish and thinking about their perceived greatness to see the humble service that needed to be done. And so Jesus, the God of the universe, the King, the Messiah, who had already humbled himself by even coming to earth, humbled himself by going on his way to the cross for the purpose of going to the cross, been with these men for three years, humbled himself yet again, took a step to get even lower. And Jesus, by his example, demonstrated an incredibly humble service that the disciples were to do in a like manner with each other. We we have opportunities to get low and to serve each other in aren't flashy ways. They aren't fantastic ways. Uh, washing someone's feet in that context would not have been a fantastic job to do, um, task to do. We don't exactly have the dirty feet problem that they had back then, but there are plenty of menial tasks, humble tasks, that we have the opportunity to serve one another and care for one another in that way. And uh, we can always look for more of those kinds of tasks. Those are ways that God wants us to practice serving with, serving one another. Number six, how does God want us to practice being unified with one another? We're actually going to skip the devoted with one another. We're going to go down to let us not judge one another. So we're going to go to Romans chapter 14. Verse 13. Here, the context for, for this is really all of chapter 14. And we're and it's dealing with conscience. We're going to start reading in uh, verse one. Now, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgments on his opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats is not to regard with contempt the one who does not eat, and the one who does not eat is not to judge the one who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another, another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat, and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for God, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So that each one of us will give an account of himself to God. 
Verse 13, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. So in this section, we're talking about uh, number six. You guys may have noticed that, that we went to number six in unity. So on your reference sheet, in all of the the ones for unity, be devoted to one another. Let us not judge one another. Be of the same mind as one another. Accept one another. Greet one another. Wait for one another. Do not consume one another. Let us not challenge one another. Let us not envy one another. Show tolerance for one another. Do not lie to one another. Live in peace with one another. Do not speak against one another. Do not complain against one another. Fellowship with one another. Here in our passage and in Romans we're talking about specifically, let us not judge one another. And, and here Paul has two issues that he's addressing in this chapter. One is dealing with food, and the other is dealing with certain days being regarded as more important. There's weak believers, there's strong believers. And the strong believers can have an attitude of contemptuous superiority. And the weak believers can have an attitude of self-righteousness. And Paul provides the command not to judge one another. These are not issues of sin. These are issues of Christian liberty. These are issues of Christian practice. These areas are neither commanded nor forbidden by Scripture. These are personal preferences or historic tradition. And God, very clearly, has accepted both the strong and the weak believer. If God himself doesn't make an issue of such things, what right do his children have to make an issue of them? This doesn't mean that we don't talk about these preferences, but we don't hold our preferences as though they were principles. And we don't judge our brothers and sisters that don't hold the same principles. We don't regard them with contempt. That's, that's a way that we can be unified with one another, is to not judge each other's preferences. Just that's the way they do things. That's the way that they want to do that. That's the way they hold to that. Uh, they think different things. Um, and that's okay. They're not in areas of sin. They are Christian liberty and they are preferences. So we're going to go ahead and summarize. We've been investigating our six questions for how God wants us to practice these biblical relationships within the local church. So let me ask you a few more, you know, more rhetorical questions. Can one be obedient to scripture and not be practicing the one another's? Can one be obedient oh, can one be obediently practicing the one another's and not be plugged in to a local church? Can one effectively practice the one another's by only participating in body life on the Lord's day? We all live in an America, in America, and our country is very consumeristic. We're impacted by it and we can't get away from it. I'm impacted by it. And given that it can very, we can very easily bring this consumeristic view into the church and it can be, it can, it can, uh, it can not be uncommon for us to then focus what we get out of a relationship, what we get out of a Bible study, what we get out of a small group, what we get out of a worship service. I view how well something is going based on solely what I feel I got out of that. And this, this view of relationships within the local church is not one the scripture supports. The obedient Christian, me, you guys, the obedient Christian must be in close biblical relationships with fellow believers. And since I'm speaking to GBC, fellow believers here at GBC. And evidence of those close biblical relationships is the practice of the one another's with here, people here at GBC. And here at GBC, the primary vehicle we have for practicing those biblical relationships is small groups. These are going to be smaller groups of believers here at GPC with which you can carry out and foster those more intimate relationships. It is not really going to be possible to do that only on the Lord's Day. There's close to 400 people on a regular Sunday. 
you can't have close intimate relationships with 400 people. And so we break that up into smaller groups that we can have those closer, more intimate relationships with. You can get to know them better, they can get to know you better, and then we can practice those one another's. Hopefully I was able to provide you some familiarity with these one another's so that they stand out in scripture, so that you can be practicing them or more effectively practicing them within this body. Um, Let's go ahead and pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Jesus, for going and saving us at the cross, for bearing the wrath for our sins at the cross, that uh, we get to live for you, to see you magnified, and we get to then, uh, the love with which you loved us, we get to then love others. We get to love others here within this body. We get to have those close relationships. Jesus, we want to see you magnified, and uh, it's all to your glory. And Jesus, it's in your great name we pray. Amen.